until equal justice under the law is a real thing and until being able to just move through the world unbothered, especially when you're not doing anything that requires anyone to check in with like what you're doing and who you are and why you're there, until we actually reach that, we've, we've got some work. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're talking to William Jackson Harper. We'll discuss his impressive turn as Royal in the Underground Railroad, the Emmy nomination that's already under his belt for The Good Place, and what we have to look forward to when he takes over HBO Max's intriguing series, Love Life. I am counting down the days until we get the list of nominees for the Primetime Emmy Awards. And so I've been thinking a lot about who I want to see nominated this year with so many outstanding performances from fantastic Black creators and actors, actresses. I think that it's only right that we spend some time to highlight some of the people who don't always get the shine that they deserve. There have been too many groundbreaking performances to list right now, but gosh, when I think of some people whose names I just know I need to hear when those nominees are listed off, gosh, I mean, HBO delivered so many truly inspired performances. Journey Smollett in Lovecraft Country, Jonathan Majors in Lovecraft Country, Anjanou Ellis in Lovecraft Country. Obviously, I really want to see Lovecraft Country get a lot of attention and a lot of love this year. Courtney B. Vance was so good in that series. He was also really, really, really good in Nat Geo's genius Aretha. If you missed it, he played Aretha's father in the film and it was a really stirring performance. I think that that project deserves some shine. I hope that Cynthia Erivo might get nominated for her turn as the Queen of Soul, as well as Omar Dorsey, who we got to speak to on Acting Up a few weeks back and you know, I think is a really worthy contender himself, not only for his role in Genius Aretha, but also for his beloved character, Hollywood, on Owns Queen Sugar. Gosh, Michaela Cole just won a Peabody Award for I May Destroy You, and she better get some serious nods for that masterpiece that she created and starred in and was totally snubbed over at the Golden Globes. I think, you know, the Clark sisters was really, really good. I hope Anjanou gets some recognition for that. I think that over at Amazon Prime, Barry Jenkins's Underground Railroad delivered some, gosh, just magnificent performances from so many really talented actors. Last week on Acting Up, we talked to Yvonne Orji and Amber Ruffin, two women whose names I hope I am reading in the coming weeks when the Emmy noms are finally announced. I'm rooting for Insecure. I am rooting for the Amber Ruffin show. I'm rooting for Black Lady Sketch Show again, because truly, say what you will, there's nothing else like it. It's just mind-blowing what Robin Thede and her team has been able to achieve in that sketch category. There are so, so, so many people worthy of all of the flowers this year. And one of them, I think is 
my next guest on acting up, William Jackson Harper. You all might be more used to seeing him, you know, flex his comedy skills over on, I don't know, the hit show, The Good Place. And that role earned him an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. But now he's got some serious drama under his belt. And I think that this performance in the Underground Railroad is worth some recognition. It is really worth a watch. It is extremely well done. And Barry Jenkins continues to amaze me. And the casting was just perfect, really. I I don't know that I would have ever imagined William Jackson Harper playing someone like Royal so beautifully, but that's exactly what he did. And I'm so glad that he's my next guest on Acting Up. William is also going to take over the shoes that used to be filled by Anna Kendrick on Love Life. That was one of the first series that HBO Max unveiled when they launched that platform. And gosh, it is like a story that I thought that I would write one day. I'm so sure so many people think that their love life could, you know, their dating journeys could be a movie, could be a show. And, you know... They did it over at HBO. The first season was all about Anna Kendrick's character and kind of a revolving door of relationships that she had, you know, in her adult life. And it was really fun. I liked it. I remember that I devoured that show in like one really long night that I couldn't sleep. And I liked it. It didn't get as much buzz as I thought that it would, but I certainly did not expect it to keep going this way with a brand new character. And as soon as they announced that that's what they were doing, I thought that it was brilliant because of exactly what I said before. So many people's normal run of the mill or crazy, shocking, you know, journeys through dating life is TV worthy. The most mundane things are also things that feel so um, unique to us. And, And then you watch a show like this and you realize like, oh gosh, I'm pretty basic. (laughs) So anyway, Love Life is really good. I really liked it. I can't wait to see what William Jackson Harper does with this role when we follow, you know, his character's love journey. We have a while to wait because they are in production now, but luckily he did dish a few details. Check it out. Hey, William. Last year, you told us just kind of like what Juneteenth meant to you. And this year we're talking about freedom, which is really what I think was so beautifully illuminated in the Underground Railroad was like the concept of freedom and that like ever moving target for our people, I think. You know, the people on Valentine Farm were free to an extent until they weren't. And Juneteenth is so much about the fact that that was the day that everyone knew that they were free and that you know, until that point, none of us were really free. So I'm asking people to think about like, what does freedom mean now for us? You know, until when will we actually be free? Right? Oof. Big ass question. God, you know, there's, there's no answer that is going to be uh, satisfactory for me. But I, I think that freedom to me is being able to engage with the world on your own terms without infringing upon the experience of other people. And I think that there's definitely been progress made, but I feel that, you know, especially as black people, we're running into, you know, like it's like so much feels much more open than it did. 
And then every now and again, we're reminded like, oh, but things are a little bit different for us, you know, and there's ways in which it's like, okay, if we engage with the world on our own terms, that could still mean that you're going to encounter something that is, you know, violent and repressive. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's and, and, until, you know, equal justice under the law is a real thing. And until, you know, like just being able to like, just move through the world unbothered, especially when you're not doing anything that requires anyone to check in with like what you're doing and who you are and why you're there until we actually reach that, you know, we, we, we've got some work. So, you know, I, I mean, I think that we're, we're, we're making progress, but it's becoming very clear to me. Thanks so much for that. that. that was it's, perfect. We're kind Gosh, of, we're on so the surface. Again, and now we you have to, to forgive really me because that. I am, I'm rattled every time I see that. I think that was my third watch, uh, but this was the first time I just honed in on episode eight and nine of the Underground Railroad, which you were so fantastic in. Oh my gosh. Like I've seen so much of your work, but I felt like this was a William that we've never, ever seen before. And I wondered if it felt like a different experience for you. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I, I do a lot of comedy and I play, you know, very cerebral characters in a lot of ways. And this is not that, you know, it's, it's not that Royal isn't a cerebral person. It's just that his manifestation is very, very different, you know, and I, in a lot of ways, like one of the fun things about playing Royal is that he embodies a lot of things that I aspire to, you know, he's, he lives by his own code. He's someone who acts rather than gets paralyzed with his own thoughts. He's someone who's deeply empathetic and quietly confident and, you know, all these things. He's like, he's the kind of guy that maintains eye contact, but not so long that it gets creepy. You know, it's like, it's, he's, he's that kind of person. And, and it's all these things that I'm working on, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and so it was a lot of, it, it was like, I wouldn't say it was like fun to, you know, to play, but it was definitely something that I, I found myself admiring. The I think a lot of people were like swooning over Royal mind. in a way. And in part because of the way that he treated Cora and in part, I think because of all of those things that you said, you know, he was quietly confident. He really did feel like a hero, you know, and he, gosh, I, I don't know if I've like cursed at the screen so consistently, you know, upon losing a beloved character as I have when we saw when Royal met his end. This was just so like, of course it would be that, but also like, oh my gosh, like just so crippling. And it was so awful to see that love story end so abruptly and to see this this person who felt safe. I think he was one of the people that we felt very safe with in this journey of the Underground Railroad. And he was just gone in a second. And I wondered like, I mean, it really did provoke so much anger from me. I mean, like sad, yes, but also we're on episode eight and nine of a pretty heavy project. So we're kind of almost past sad and I had already evolved every time into just shock and like anger. What were the emotions you were going through playing, you know, these scenes out? Well, you know, I, I think that Royal doesn't know that he's about to go, you know, 
And so for me, playing the scenes was like, I wanted to be with Cora. I got, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to have Valentine Farm thrive. I wanted her to stay. You know, I didn't want people kicking her out because she's a fugitive. You know, and, and, and it's like, and what does that even mean in this world where it's like, oh, so she's, she's, she's decided to be a free person. She's a human being, decided to live like a human being. And that makes her a danger. It's like, screw that, you know, like it was, yeah. yeah. So I was, you know, like, so in the playing of it, we really leaned into the lightness and the gentleness and the hope and, you know, like the positivity between us, you know, and that's, that's what we played. And until it was until that was over. And I think that, you know, I think our time on Valentine Farm was something that we were, you know, it was like a, a moment where we all get to breathe a little bit and watch black people in this story be happy and have fun and joke and have joy and laugh. Yeah, so beautiful. Like so much joy in those couple of episodes, like yeah. episode eight, so much joy that I, I don't know that I've ever seen people who are representing our ancestors looking like that at a time like that feeling that kind of joy you yeah. know I've never I've never seen a barbecue among you know black people in slave times on, on screen and it was just a new kind of beautiful and a new kind of familiarity yeah and you know we just had I mean I, those scenes we really just enjoyed being together you know I mean there's a lot of lines that got improvised. We were just having a good time, you know? And it's like, we, so we, I think we really enjoyed as a cast and as a crew just living in those joyful moments. And so when it does come crashing down, it really hurts because I think that it feels, you know, it, I think it feels present. It's just like everyone, like the, the, one of the things about the, 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 the novel is that everyone felt like modern to me, you know, like, they didn't feel like all these old people that their brains were completely wired differently. It was like, they all felt like they had thought about what's what, and this is where they decided that they fell, you know, where they came down on certain things. And I think that there's something in, in our show that also feels really modern and in the people that feels very, just, it feels present. It doesn't feel like some people from a long time ago. It feels mm -hmm. like folks that, you know, right. Um, and I think that that, it hurts. It really hurts when it ends the way it does. And it also felt like, you know, you knew it, I knew it. And I didn't actually read the book. I have it now and I'm reading it now, but I didn't read this. So I didn't know what to expect or exactly what was coming, but it did make me feel like, oh, wow. Like now I know why that book won so many awards. Like this is about then, but this is about now too. You know, the arguments the people from the farm were having the debates, if you will, about, you know, the acceptable Negro, right? Like the good black folks made me think a lot about Micaiah Bryant and the conversations that we're having now about what makes us acceptable or not. But it also felt like when I was watching that joy and I was allowing myself to experience that joy, I also knew it, ha it, was, it was too good to be true, of course. This is not how this is not how this story ends. Um, you know, they made it and they're on a farm, and then sooner or later, this is going to be a trend that catches on, and we live happily ever after. I knew how the story went, but what does it say to have like even that audacity? Like even now, I think it's measurable, right? Like 
if you just look at Hollywood, we say, wow, there's so many more, not only, you know, actors of color, but creators of color, directors of color, you know, Barry Jenkins is making shows like this with, with a budget like this for Amazon and telling these kinds of stories and it's come so far. And then we also know that that's happening amid, you know, a national crisis. What does it say that those moments, whether on screen or in real life, are still kind of feel too good to be true? You know, like we have to expect that things are going to come crashing down no matter how far or loud or visible we get. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I, man, I, you know, I, I feel like, I, you know, I wish I could put my finger on why I feel sometimes even as you know, when things are good, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. I, 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 I can't put my finger on it. I really don't know. I mean, like, I, I think that there's a part of me that is, like, thinking about the fact that for the longest time, Black people economically just weren't allowed to participate, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are just sort of, you know, gently sort of understood and rigged in a certain way that, you know, certain heights are just like going to be a much, much tougher climb. I, I guess it's like when you see black people succeeding, there's always a chorus of people that want to explain it away and say why they actually shouldn't be, why it's not really deserved. Because, you know, everything's been sort of skewed for so long that seeing folks sort of make it feels like an anomaly in, in certain ways. And that's and it's just not, it's not true, you know, like, like there's successful black folks all over the place all the time. And it's, uh, I, I think that seeing that backlash against black success feels that, I feel like that's never gone anywhere. You know, I feel like that's always been around. That's the thing. Yes. That's the through line. Yeah. And so it's like, so yeah, I think that there's something about Valentine Farm, which just sort of feels like, right, you know, this is a black success story, but what will the backlash be? Because that is, that's unfortunately very common in American society. Um, and, and so it's, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't put my finger on why exactly I have that sort of feeling, you know, and why that looks that way to me, but it just, it does feel that way quite often. And it's, yeah. um, I don't think I'm alone in sort of having that sort of, like sort of watching the clouds above you, just like, okay, is this gonna, is it, is it gonna rain on me? Am I good? Am I good? Am I good? You know? Yeah. Well, one of the, I mean, you're, you're touching on something that really was drudged up when I watched the Underground Railroad, which is this idea of like generational trauma and that it's almost like a built in anxiety. Like we're wired, you know, I have at times thought I was alone in that. And then you, talk to more people and mental health starts to be something that we, you know, discuss and examine and you realize like, you know, I grew up, the, the little I learned about slavery, I thought, wow, my great, 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 great grandmother or grandfather was a slave. And, and now, of course, I know like there were not many greats there, you know, my great, great grandmother is is part of this story and it's not very long ago and if you if we look and we were able to examine and more of us i think were able to see the stories and the experiences of just that generation of just our grandparents and our great grandparents this trauma you know and this kind of collective trauma and reckoning 
with that trauma, like we're still in it. We're still going through it, right? I think as a people. And I thought that this story really kind of tapped into that for me. And we also see what the backlash to Black success looks like in modern times. I think we're coming up on the centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre, which was another example of exactly that, Black Wall Street being, you know, wiped out. We had our first Black president followed by, you know, Donald Trump. That idea is kind of just something that we've seen over and over in real life. And I had never really correlated it to these times that the Underground Railroad was set in until now. And that was just one of the ways that I thought this project was so powerful and so illuminating and brutal at the same time, but it felt like a necessary and very well and delicately handled representation of that brutality. And my last question for you about this project was, did you know, and if so, like, how did you know that the pain and the brutality of the time would be handled in a way that you could be proud of and you'd want to participate in? Because we know that's not always the case. Right. Well, you know, I, I think for me, one of the most exciting things about this story is a, the idea of resistance is the thing that's central to it, right? Like, it's not about enduring it and just, like, watching a lot of pain and waiting for things to change. It's about Cora being like, F all this, I'm out, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get away. I think that just sort of the the, the active nature of her, her resistance is something that really felt like it was going to be special. And, you know, you'd never really know if, you know, the, the pain is going to be something that is going to be handled well. But I think that there's something about, th in this story, one of the things that really stood out is there are no white saviors. You know, there's no one that's going to, there's no, like, you know, surpassingly good white person that changes everything and uses their white privilege to, you know, fix everything. You know, it's like, there yeah. is no that. It yeah. is, you know, like, you're seeing the, the cruelty of slavery through the eyes of the people that are having to endure that stuff. And then also you're seeing people resist it and you're seeing people like the fact of the matter is like a lot of folks, even if they disagreed with slavery, were not going to be abolitionists. They were not going to like up in their own lives and risk their life yeah. to, to, to fight for someone else's freedom and on someone else's behalf. So I think the fact that there are no white saviors that then thereby render you know, the black characters in this story a little bit less uh, front-footed and effective and render them a little bit more passive. Like, I think that that's something, you know, that we, we don't have, there's no passive, like, well, I mean, there are people in the story that are passive, but it's like they're the, the, the central characters that are fighting for, um, for freedom are not in any way passive. And they're, you know, and so like that is... I think it balances things out where it's not, you're not just seeing hurt and trauma, you're seeing the fight. And that's, you know, that's important to me. Totally. Again, I thought you did a spectacular job in this. I loved you in it. Um, and I know so many people agree with me about that. Um, I'm also excited for what's next for you though. I mean, I do think the Underground Railroad, brutal and thought provoking as it was, it also kind of, you know, showed you in a little bit different light. And I think it's got a lot of people thinking of you like a love interest. There's a lot of people crushing on Royal right now. Um, and that's perfect gearing up for your next big role, which is like the lead in season two of Love Life. 
Yeah. I loved the first season. I felt like people either like didn't see it. It was really the beginning of HBO Max or I don't know. I just didn't think that it got like all of the attention that it deserved because I binged right through it. I know that you're producing it. And when I saw it, I did feel like I was going to write that story one day. Like I was going to combine all of my dating history. It was going to be this whole series of novels. I'm sure I'm not the only one who thought that, but like, yes, duh. Why wasn't this show made sooner? You could do it a million times. I didn't think of that, of them doing it with someone else until they announced that you were doing it. And I was like, that's brilliant because these stories would never get old, no matter who the character was. But it also just, wow, I never knew what it was like to like navigate love as a white girl in New York, but now I do. You know, that perspective was really cool to identify with and then to also learn from. Yeah. So I wanted to know from you, like what about this project spoke to you and made you want to take it on as the lead and as a producer? Well, one of the main things is I I felt like it it used the lens of like finding romance and, you know, sort of the romantic comedy like idea to explore a whole host of other things. I mean, I think that for me watching that first season, it was like, yeah, sure. It's about figuring out, you know, who you're supposed to be with and, you know, fumbling through the dating scene in your twenties, but it's also just what it is to be in New York in your twenties. That's like, that's a whole ass thing. so it's like i i I was like i was like oh man like you know everything from like the apartment they lived in to you know how small that felt and like how late people were up and the odd jobs and the you know it's like all of that just felt very real to me um and so it, it was like what is it to just like figure out who you are and how you're meant to move through the world um, in, in New York when you're just like sort of a, a fledgling adult, you know? You see my face, right? I'm telling on myself. I totally did that. I moved to New York. I think I was like 19 the first time and then 20 to like 24. So yes, it was a whole other, <laughs> it was a whole movie for sure. A whole season yeah. of a show at least. <laughs> the whole thing. New York is a big character. And I think that's something that really attracted me to it. And you know, in this season, we're going to explore what it is to be in a different stage of your life. And, you know, because no matter what, like who you decide to be with or if you decide to be with anyone is a big part of like your whole outlook and like and a big part of just who you are in the world. And, you know, it's like, we're, what is it when you're, you know, a 30 something who is who thinks that they figured out life? And then everything gets thrown in the air and you're doing that against the backdrop of New York City and, you know, you're dating again and like all that. It's like, what is that? What does that feel like? And, um, you know, that is that is something that I'm, I'm really interested in and in, in sort of exploring because there's a lot of other things that come up other than just, you know, neur- neuroses about um, does she like me? Does she not? You know, it's like it's. It's really just like, wow, who who am I now? I thought that I was this thing and now that's gone. That was a big part of what my life was about for a long time. And now I have to reconfigure everything. And so it's, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to be a part of, of telling this story. And, you know, like Sam Boyd's a great 
great, great writer and director and the writer's room we have is killer. They're making some stuff that has made me laugh out loud and has also really deeply affected me. And so I'm, I, I, just, I just couldn't be happier uh, to be getting to be a part of this. I cannot wait. I really am just dying to see it. How much of your life and your experience are you are you bringing to this? Are you sitting with the writers and are you, you know, insisting on certain stories being told, whether they're real or just ones that you think are important for this kind of this character to tell? Because it is an example of a time where it's like, I don't think it sounds like the show is centered on blackness, but it also couldn't be any more of an example of like this thing that people ask for, which is can we have black actors taking on roles and speaking to wide audiences like The Good Place I think does, but that doesn't start from, from that intention, but at the same time really I think makes wider audiences relate. Like I said, I related to this 20 something white girl in New York on a very universal topic, which is you know a love life. And yeah. so it gives, I think, people, middle-aged white women or 17-year-old white boys to relate to this character on his love life. And he happens to be a black man. And that does a lot for moving the needle when it comes to representation, because there is this whole other side of, we're also just living life like everyone else or trying to, you know, that's the goal in case anyone forgot, like that would be fine. I think everyone would be quiet if that's what we were doing all the time is just allowed to be like everyone else. So I wonder if there's a weight to, to even that element of it, like the racial representation element and also just carrying a show It kind of is like, yes, there's rotating doors of other people, but you, are the anchor, you know, like you are the main character through and through. So how heavy is that? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. I mean, like, you know, like as far as like my own personal stories, it's like, we're not really basing anything on my life per se. It's like, I've definitely sat with the writers here and there and, you know, like told them stories of some of the cringier moments of, of my, my dating life. But um, it, it's not about like exploring my, my dating history at all um you know but like it is interesting and it is kind of like it's a new thing to sort of be anchoring a show you know it's like honestly it's just the hours are intense and it's uh you know trying to keep the energy up and make sure that you're actually doing the work you know like you're that you're meeting you're rising to the level of the material that you're being given you know mm -hmm. and that's something i mean we're getting good scripts and so it's like i want to do this well because it's it's good. And if I do it right, it'll, it'll still be good. I don't want to ruin it. You know, I'm um, not going to ruin it. Give me a break. <laughs> it's so long overdue. Like finally we're getting you like all to ourselves on a project. I really just cannot wait. It's going to be so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, and you know, it's like, look, it's like, we don't shy away from issues of race. It's like, it, it's, but it's not, but it's not the thing, you know, yeah. it's like, that's, that's the point. It's like, look, it's like, race is one of those things that announces itself in weird ways, but it's not like, you know, I, I don't wake up every day being like, oh yeah, I'm black. What does that going to mean today? You know, it's like, it's, I get up and I just like go through my day. And then most of the time, no one says any craziness. And then every now and again, someone does. And it's just like, oh Lord, okay, let me deal with this. And or, or do I want to deal with this? Because it's like I got other stuff to do. I'm, you know, I don't have time for foolishness. And so we're 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 sort of in this 
you know, we're not running from the issues of race, but we're also not like, like, you know, really trying to make sure that this is, that everyone knows that this is a black show and, you know, like, and, and if we're going to deal with this and no, if you're not black, you're not going to get it. It's like, no, it's, it's for everyone to watch and enjoy. But, you know, it's like, it's everyone else's turn to go ahead and just see themselves in black actors and black performers and black characters. It's yeah. like, it's their turn to do that. I mean, they, they, they've, they've done it before and it's their turn again and they'll do it. You know, yeah. that's my hope. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it's like a grown up version of this, you know, Disney thing. Like I love, I want little white girls to want to dress up like Tiana and Moana, you know, yeah. for Halloween, just like they do Cinderella and Rapunzel because they think they're cool. Not like because yeah. they're being woke. Like they also are just cool princesses that are just as pretty and aspirational as the rest of them. Like that doesn't bother me at all. And I feel like this is representation in a very like chill, mild, fun, romantic comedy kind of yeah. way. But those things, you know, those aren't nothing. Like those are moves, you know, and it does move the needle in a less like obvious in your face way. So I'm really happy to see that for sure. What else about carrying a show? I mean, it is, it's a different level of your career, right? Like it has to be, you're already Emmy nominated. You know, you've hit a lot of obvious benchmarks for, for any actor. Um, and now here is another one and you're producing. So like, what do the next steps look like? And like, what does it feel like right here? Does it feel like things are getting easier? Uh, you know, if you will, to make it simple, does it feel different? Does it still feel like the exact same struggle that you had five projects ago? Like, where are you? Where does it feel like you're sitting? Well, I guess, like, yeah, it doesn't feel like a struggle, but I do feel out of my depth, you know, and I do feel unprepared in certain ways, you know, um, and it, it's, but that's also the thing that excited me about first moving to this city and trying to be an actor on stage was like, am I actually ready to do this? You know, like that. That's kind of a fun feeling. It's like, um, you know, it's like someone else has decided that you're ready to try this thing. You don't think that you're ready to try this thing, but you know, you're going to try this thing. And, and so it's, it's like that, I, I guess I'm really excited to have the opportunity at this age and at this stage in my career to learn more and to figure out how to do this and how to, you know, to, to what it is to actually be in every scene of uh, a, a story. And like, how, how do you maintain your energy? How do you maintain the integrity of the character? How do you do what you need to do to, in order to be at your best every day? You know, like uh, it, it's, and so like, it's, um, it, it, the struggles, it, it doesn't feel as much like a struggle. I mean, there are things that are a struggle, obviously, like getting up at 4 a.m. is a struggle no matter what. But I mean, you know, like it's, but I just feel, I feel fortunate. I just feel like I, I wanted to be at this place and I can't believe that I, you know, I don't know, like when you were listing stuff that's happened in, in my career in the last couple of years, it's like, I can't believe you're talking about me. You know, like that's like, there's a lot of things that have happened and I'm just sort of like coursing through them and just doing it. And it's just sort of, you know, it's nice to feel like things are progressing and, um, and that's, that's what this feels like. It's another step where I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm prepared, but I'm really going to try to be the best I can, you know, in the roles that I have. 
That is so cool. And I think, I mean, I think I could be talking to you like three Oscars or Emmys from now, you know, or Peabody's for you. And I'll still be like, wow, William Jackson Harper still has imposter syndrome. Like, you know, like it still does feel. It's so real though. I mean, like I have, yes, that's, but I think all actors have that to a point, not all actors, but a lot of actors have that, you know, like I, I definitely have that where I'm like, okay, this is the last one. This is the one where they're going to be like, this y'all, so you know, he out. got us, he got us, he got us. All right, you are dismissed, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but I've talked to so many actors who I admire so much who are like, oh yeah, I always think that every job is my last job. Um, oh, and yeah. I feel the same way, but I yeah. also am just sort of like, you know, that's also just a feeling that that comes with being an actor for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know. I think it's a feeling that comes with being successful. And I think it's a, a feeling that is particularly evident when you're a black person being successful because it feels like, why, why me? Like, you know, you worked hard. Imposter syndrome is the one that's really sticking this year is like oh like yes I thought I again I thought I was the only one like I thought it was a weird Courtney neuroses that like somebody's gonna figure out I'm like I'm really not that good of a writer or like why do I well, why how do I have a podcast like somebody you thought today a good use of your 30 minutes was to talk to me and you know you're starring in this incredibly timely epic Barry Jenkins directed project and we're chatting in my kitchen, like somebody's gonna figure this out and fix it. And so I think that as, as black folks, it's, it's so important to give ourselves, you know, the, the kudos, you know, and celebrate, I think the accomplishments and the progress. And you are someone whose career I have loved watching. I've loved celebrating. I'm so excited that our listeners got to hear a little bit more from you today, because I think that your future is just so, so bright and, and you will, you will be one of those, you know, incredible talents who still just feel like this is their last one. And that's refreshing. It's not all of that common. So I appreciate you as always. I appreciate your time and I really appreciate your work on the Underground Railroad, which was just incredible. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, I, I just feel really, I guess, you know, I don't know, just to circle back to something you were saying, I, I feel like luck is such a big part of the things that have come my way in the last few years. It's like, I, you know, a lot of people get to do, not not a lot, but a few people get to be on a show and maybe it does a couple of episodes or a season and that's about it. And, you know, and, and then it's like back to the grind of like really trying to find the next thing. But I've been really, really fortunate in that the things that I've been invited to 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 work on um have been things that have that have really helped and um you know opportunities that have really been fulfilling in so many ways and i just feel like i just feel crazy fortunate you know it's it's like i just can't discount the the, the role of luck in all of this is it's i because i just i just feel very 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 lucky thanks so much it was a pleasure to have you on Acting Up. I can't wait to talk to you again when Love Life comes out. All right. Yeah. Let's do it again. Cool. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Today is July 1st, which means that Pride Month is technically over, but that doesn't mean that the fight for equality ends. 
So Pride Month is fun. We get to, you know, bring awareness and get people to celebrate the progress that we've made. But in reality, we're halfway through 2021. We're halfway through this year. And I think it might be time for a little wake up call when it comes to all of the progress, right? If you guys didn't know, 2020 set a pretty morbid record. It was the deadliest documented year for trans people in the US with 45 homicides. And the majority of those deaths were trans women of color. Big shocker there. It looks like 2021 is on track to be even deadlier with at least 28 recorded killings in the community so far. Even though President Biden has issued a few executive orders, you know, to promote the safety of LGBTQ education, housing, healthcare access and employment, as well as reversing Trump's ban on trans people enlisting in the military and nominating a record number of LGBTQ appointees into his offices, anti-trans legislation is more rampant than ever. 33 states, one of which you might reside in, have already delivered more than 100 bills in an effort to restrict the rights and freedoms of our trans brothers and sisters. From bans on trans adolescent participation in sports to restrictions on critical trans-related medical care, families raising trans children are even finding it dangerous and unlivable in some states to just be who they are. In Missouri, for example, where I know we have a lot of listeners. There's already 15 bills targeting the LGBTQ community in motion, and they are really moving fast. The kinds of anti-LGBTQ legislation that's being pushed forward are things like rolling back marriage equality, attacks on transgender youth, and threats to erase the community altogether. Missouri continues to lead the country in the number of anti-LGBTQ bills introduced to the point that parents and guardians are really worried about how they're going to live there, how they're going to raise their trans children and nurture their trans families. And it's just so sad that in this day and age, that is still such a serious concern for so many people. Without seismic action, the lives of our trans peers will not change in a real way on an essential level. Seismic action starts with you and your phone. You have a voice. I know that everyone is like tired of politics, tired of elections, tired of hearing that they need to do more, but I'm sorry, like you need to do more. If you really want to see the change that we continue to fight for manifest, you have to use your voice. And there is a way to do that, even when it feels like there isn't. Right now, you can find a list of anti-trans bills that you can help deflect. If you head over to freedomforallamericans.org or the find your representatives function at www.house.gov representatives, you can figure out who you should be pointing your messages to. You can call, you can write a letter, you can send an email. Um, and a phone message would literally take you like one minute and it's the smallest little thing that makes a big difference. Here's a sample. Good afternoon, my name is Courtney Wills and I'm a member of the City Transgender Alliance. I'm calling to urge my Senator to champion the opposition of the anti-trans bill they're trying to push through over in your neck of the woods to ensure that there are protections for transgender children. In our country, everyone should have the right to move fluidly across their gender identity without the fear of discrimination. Even if they are a sponsor of the bill, I hope that they will vote against it. 
Again, my name is Courtney Wills. My address is blah, 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 blah. And my telephone number is blah, 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 blah. If you want to call me back to talk about it. Thank you for your time. Click the end. Your job is done. See how easy that was? Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.